and people just kind of come in as they come in, and uh, we're going to get rolling here. Uh, Romans chapter number 11, uh, let's just start reading here in verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What? Ye not. What the scripture saith of Elias? How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more work grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And uh, that's a great uh, passage here. It's where we're at uh, in our study. We're going to, we looked at verse, at verse 1 last time. The goal today is to get down through the six verses and uh, this introductory section here. And again, Paul is dealing with these uh, legitimate uh, objections, legitimate questions raised uh, concerning his Acts ministry, concerning what's going on with the transition with the the change the coming out of Israel's program into the dispensation of the grace of God and the very fact is is and we've seen this in chapter 9 10 and now we'll see it more in 11 that uh, he's as he goes as his manner is to go into the synagogue he's who's in the synagogue it's the heathen Jew it's the unbelieving Jew it isn't the circumcision, the, circum, the little flock, the 12, they have been scattered. You think about Acts 8, what are they? They've been scattered. There's no believer in Jerusalem except for the apostles. So when Paul goes into the synagogues as he's traveling, who's he encountering? Not circumcision believers, but the, un, the unbelievers in Israel, uncircumcised, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, Stephen has already labeled them. So when you kind of keep that in the back of your mind, that he's dealing with the individual Jew now. And that's what proof number one, the answer to the question of, I say then, hath God cast away his people? The divine protest, God forbid, but what Paul is doing is, is based on what Paul has told us in 9 and 10, the natural conclusion is, is that God just cast his people away. He just got rid of them. And he's replacing Israel with the church, the body of Christ. And we looked last time and we saw that is not the case. So you need to jettison the covenant theology or reform theology. They, they change their names about every five years to keep relevant. And uh, so they, they're covenant theologists. It, it, it's kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're really Russellites. They follow Mr. Russell, okay? But they change their names because that's just not... Uh, it's not marketable, we, you know, to say we're a Russellite. Because Mr. Russell, just like many of those men who started those, has a checkered past, if we could say it like that. But the issue is, is again, the natural question, the natural conclusion to come to is that God cast away his people. Now, that question is a question of unbelief. 
by the Jews as they're raising it. Unbelief in that they, they have the Old Testament. We looked at it last time. All through the Old Testament, how long is Israel's God peop- God's people? Forever. Forever, forever. And if they had just studied the Old Testament, believed the Old Testament, then guess what? They would have never asked the question. Rather, they would have said, okay, what is God doing now? If he's not dealing with the nation of Israel, then what is he? And that's that issue that we're going to get down here in chapter 11, there in verse 11, where Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Verse 14, if by any means I might provoke to emulation, that provoking ministry, he goes into the Jew and he says, listen, God has left you. He's over here visiting the Gentiles now and salvation is gone to the Gentiles without going through you. That's why they would see the Gentiles speaking in tongues, doing the, the sign gifts. That's why they would see Paul heal, raise the dead, heal. Could you imagine? He takes his hanky, wipes his nose, sends it through the mail, and it heals him. You know, anybody that touches it. So what do we have the charlatans that in our day and age do? Same thing. They're, they soak it in the bathtub, water, bless it, abracadabra, mini, 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 mo, and off it goes. And if you give them enough money, then they'll heal you. And it doesn't work. But what is that to do? It's to make that Jew say, wait a minute, what are, what's going on here? And in verse 14, if you keep reading there, provoked to emulation, that word emulation, that issue of copycatting, them which are my flesh and might, what? Save, not all of them, but some of them. So we're talking about the individual. In Paul's Acts ministry, he never provoked the Gentile to behave like the Jew. Rather, he provoked the Jew to behave like the Gentile. And we're going to see Peter even confirm that here as we go along this morning. So in answering the question of did God cast away his people, the answer is God forbid. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He introduces two proofs, two evidences of it. The first one in verse 1, For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So who was Paul? He's a Pharisee. He's a Hebrew. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He is, he's a Jew. But yet he was disqualified from partaking in Israel's program. We looked last time, Matthew 12. He has committed that unpardonable sin, if you will. And he's blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which, which disqualifies him for eternal life. So what did God have to do to save Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? He had to interrupt that program, which he does in Acts 7 with the fall. He interrupts that program. Now what can he do? He can go deal with that individual Israelite apart from the nation. And Paul says, I'm the first guy in. We looked over in 1 Timothy there where he says, I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Paul knows he's, he's the leading cause of Israel's blindness. We're going to get down next, well, depending on how long we tarry here, next time about the issue of Israel being blinded, and there's a blindness here. And Paul is very well aware. That's why he's got a heavy heart in chapter 9 uh, and chapter 10. And here even in 11, what's his heart's desire? To see some of his people get saved. Why? Because he knows he was leading contributor to their blindness. 
And now he can be the leading contributor to their justification. So when you come into here, the first issue is, is God's not cast away his people. He's now dealing with the individual Jew. And the Jew individually now is the issue. So when you come over to verse 15, this is all review from last week. Verse 15, for if the casting away of them now, that's, now we got a contradiction. Well, 11.1 says no, and 11.15 says yes. But keep reading the issue here. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of who? The world. Now we're talking a dispensational issue with about the nation. Because while Israel is connected to being the head of the nation, in order to reconcile the world under Israel's program, Israel had to be in place, properly function, and do. They weren't there. That's what's going to get us up to that issue of them being blinded. That gets us to this issue. Now he's set the nation aside, dealing on the individual basis, so that he can do what? Now go deal with the individual Gentile and reconcile that world back and be the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So the first answer, the first proof is the issue of the individual. And Paul uses himself as that uh, uh, proof. Look, I'm a Jew. I'm a tri- of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm of the seed of Abraham. But I wasn't in that believing remnant. I wasn't a circumcised believer, see. I was this guy. And in Acts 26, when he recounts to Agrippa his thing, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And, and then in that you see him, well, look, look over there. You're looking at me funny, like you never read Acts 26. We, so Wednesday night, we have a little Q&A action after the, we, we teach for an hour and a half, and then we Q&A for another two. And, which is fine. I enjoy it. But believe me, Q&A is a, I, I, I get my kicks off of that. But unfortunately, it makes for bad video. Otherwise, we'd leave it on the video. But in Acts 26, we got to discussing this a little bit. If you look down there at verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou? You see how he says Saul, Saul? Whenever the Lord repeats himself, pay attention, he'll say, verily, verily, and bam, he'll nail them. Paul will say, I said it once, I'm saying it again, pay attention. Galatians 1, the idea, pay attention. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou... Don't you know Paul didn't want that to be the answer? Be somebody else, but this Jesus of Nazareth. Now watch verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet. So this is road to Damascus, Acts 9. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things that thou hast seen and of those things in which I... uh, into which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, there's unbelieving Israel, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee. Where was he commissioned? Road to Damascus. You go now. 
to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. How did he know about the forgiveness of sins? He just taught him his gospel. He just saved him in, the, in, the, in, in verse 16 there. There's a conversion first. Then verse 17, the commission. Verse 18, here it is, an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith which is in me, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I have not was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. So Paul, now go to Romans 11. He says, I'm, I'm your first illustration of the fact that God has not laid aside, has not cast away the Jewish people. Look at me. I'm a Jew. I had no standing in Israel's prophetic program, and yet what am I? I'm a member of the church, the body of Christ now. I'm justified. How? By faith. Okay. Now, verse 2, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Here's the second evidence now, verse 2 to 6. Here's the second issue. What ye not, what the scripture saith uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, of Elias, Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. Now, he's, gonna, he's going to bring up this issue here that we've already seen, and it's in that issue in verse 2 of which he foreknew. Now, you have to be very careful when you start talking about foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God and predestination and election, because he's going to be talking about it here there in verse Five, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And everybody, man, grace must be the dispensation of grace. And you know what? It isn't. It is not. The, election, the remnant according to the election of grace has nothing to do with the dispensation of grace. And yet, what do we say? What do we hear people? Yes, it does. Just like in chapter 10, that, that formula for Gentile conversion, confess and believe, that isn't, has nothing to do with that. Paul has already dealt with the issue of justification. It's in chapters 1 to 5. Chapter 10 is dealing with Israel, 9, Israel, 11, Israel. This has nothing, to, and the dispensational impact. In chapter 9 is Israel's past, why they stumbled. Chapter 10 is their present condition, where they're at right now. Chapter 11, their present stumbling, and then yet their feud is just a temporary interruption, and the future is bright for Israel down the road. Remember that? Please shake your head yes. Thank you. Oh, make me feel good. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay. So if you look at verse 2, for God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Now go back to chapter 9. What have we already learned? Chapter 9, look at verse 6. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Do you remember the remnant principle? Guess what we're having? What does he say in 11.2? He didn't forsake his people because he knew about a remnant that was always going to be there. And he introduces, just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't make you a, a part of the promise. You've got who? Ishmael. You've got Isaac. And then you've got Esau and Jacob. Who, who did God choose? He chose Jacob, not Esau. Why? Look at there in verse 9. Just kind of remind yourself. 
Verse number 9, verse 11. For the children being not yet born, neither have done any good or evil, for that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. That issue of election there, that word elect, it just means a called out, to be called out. It has nothing to do with salvation or justification. If that's the case, then you make the Lord a sinner. Back in Isaiah, when he calls the Lord mine elect, it, when you talk there about election, you're talking about just simply being a called out one. Uh, if you look over at Mark 13, Mark 13, <clears throat> Mark 13, and look there at verse 20, just to kind of give you a, uh, a, a Bible definition of the word elect. Mark 13, 20, and except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath, what, chosen, he has shortened the days. You see that elect, chosen, that's what elect is. It's a called out. It's cho- what did God back in, back in the day do? Go back to Romans 11. Romans 9, he's got a purpose of God according to election. God had a purpose to call out a specific group of people. He doesn't call out the individuals that make up the group. He calls out the group. You follow that? That's why in Paul in Ephesians 1, 4 says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us where? In him. He didn't choose you individually. He chose what? The church, the body of Christ. So you got to be very got to. I told the guys a couple weeks ago at the get out of the theology books, get rid of that nonsense. Get over here in the Word and what the Word says. So in eleven two he says what he he didn't cast away the people which he foreknew. God forbid he didn't do that. Don't you remember Elijah? Don't you remember something back there in your Old Testament that you should have been well aware of? Should have been paying attention to. So the issue here, again, is an issue of unbelief. Think about, he, what does he say? Look at Elijah. Elijah, now he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have, digged down, they have killed thy prophets and digged down thine altars, and I am left alone. When Elijah says I'm left, that's, not, that's, a, that's unbelief. He says, I'm alone here. What did Elijah forget about? Verse 4. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. He says, you're not alone. I got 7,000 of them down there. What did Elijah admit? He forgot something, didn't he? As he stands there, I'm, a, I'm alone. No, you're not alone. I got a group over here, 7,000. Verse 5, even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There's a remnant that's according to the election of grace. Verse 7, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Verse 28. Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, 
they are beloved for the Father's sake. You see that issue of election? This, this is not God preordaining who's in the group, who's to be a part of this remnant. But rather, God has foreknown. God has a purpose according to election that there will be those in, within that apostate nation who are going to, by faith, believe his word. Not the Calvinistic idea of preordained that, that, you know, preordained that this day there would be you know, 80 of us meeting at church. Not that at all, okay? But rather, he knew that he, God knew that his word would work effectually in them that believe. He knows that. His word is quick and powerful. Quick, fast, moves, boom, powerful. So it's critical here to understand that he's not talking about a remnant. uh, He's not talking about a remnant of the circumcision believers still being in existence today. That's the people use that verse to say that God is doing the body. And yet at the same time, there's a little remnant running over here in secret. Well, then wait a minute. How am I justified with God, Job would say? Do I go be a part of that circumcision group, or do I go be a part of the church, the body of Christ? So now we have what? Confusion. The believing remnant that is in Paul's day, you know what ended up happening to them? They died. They die off. Death got them. So if they're not adding to it anymore, which, by the way, the agreement in Acts 15 is that they would not be adding how would, how would Peter and the guys add to the circumcision, the believing remnant, the little flock? How, who would they add? They would have to go over here and add an unbelieving Jew, right? Okay, I'll answer for you. I'll, I'll, I'll let my head rattle, okay, as my dad would say. But they make the agreement in Galatians 2, Acts 15, that Paul would go to who? The heathen. Who are the heathen? Unbelieving Jew, unbelieving Gentile. So Peter and them would not actively be seeking more Jews to enter into the little flock. That's why that thing with James later in Acts where Paul shows up and James says, see how many thousands are zealous of the law? James has violated the agreement of Galatians 2. And those that are zealous of the law are not a part of the little flock. They're just a part of apostate nation. We'll see that as we go here a little bit better, okay? You follow what's happening? So you got to come out of this thinking about an remnant and election of grace and all that, that there's this little group of believe, Jewish believers moving underneath. If they're Jewish believers, they are a part of the body of Christ. Well, what about the guys over there that have the long curls and they're the Orthodox Jew? You know what they are? They're religious. That's what they are. They're too superstitious, Paul would have called them. Why? Because God has set all that aside. I'm ahead of myself, but you got to think about this because there's so much wrong teaching about this that you just got to catch. You got to catch this remnant thing here. So let's work the verses down a little bit here and watch why Paul uses this language, which would be very familiar to the believing Jew, to the member of the little flock, what he's talking about here. Because Paul never goes to the Jew 
and, tell, and, and tells them that, the, I'm sorry, the believing remnant, the circumcision believer, and says, you got to get out of that and come over here. He goes where? He goes into the unbelieving element of Israel, and he says, you got to get out of that, and you got to get over here in the church, the body of Christ. So watch what happens here. He, why in his, his, again, this is Paul's Acts ministry, why does he go into the synagogue? Who's in the synagogue? Unbelieving Israel. He's going to use that term. We're going to see there at the end of verse 7, blinded. He's going to use it down through blinded, blindness, blind. And there's a reason he's using that term. But we've got to catch verse 2, okay? <laughs> Elijah, all right? What does he do? In verse 2, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. So you go back to second, or 1 Kings 17 to 19. We're not going to do that because of time. I want to move down. And you, you should do that with Elijah and study that out and see what's happening because he's in a situation similar here for, because of what it looks like. To Elijah, it looks like God has done what? Cast away his people. Okay? It looks that way. They're in apostasy. And so what does he say? I'm all alone. And what does the Lord say? Verse 5. No, you're not. I got 7,000 of them down there. God foreknew the rebellion. Moses has warned them. Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 30, 31, 30, 28, 29. He's warned them of their rebellion, but God also knew what? There was a remnant. There's a believing part of the, the nation that would not rebel. He knew that. He understood that. Twelve spies go into the land. How many were against moving into the land on a permanent basis? Ten. Remember that? The two guys. Now, two out of 12 is not a good ratio, is it? I don't do math very well, but I know that. Those two men, do you remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. You know how long they lived? A long time. You know what they got to see? They got to see the land. What happened to those other 10 dudes? They're in a pot. What do we have? We have a remnant. See? We have a remnant thinking, a remnant principality, uh, pr principality, principle. Not a pre-planned thing where he, he says, I'm going to have 7,000, and here are the 7,000. By the way, the 144,000, do you notice how he numbers out how many from each tribe, but he never says who they are? He never gives their name. Rick, Bob, Bill, Henry, Sue. Well, it wouldn't be a Sue, so Steve. He doesn't say that. He just says what? Here's a number. 7,000 men. The, the thing there is I have what? Reserved to myself. He foreknew. I've reserved. Out of the mass of the nation of Israel, anywhere from 2 to 3 million people, there's only 7,000 of them that follow the word of God. That's sad. 
That's a foolish nation. That is a remnant. That is a little flock. You see, God has elected to use a remnant. He doesn't make up who's in the remnant. He knows that when Elijah preached, what were they going to do to him? Kill him. Try to get him. He knew they were going to do what to the word? Reject it. But not everybody rejects the word. There's that little group that is there. So you have to be careful in some of this. I have a wonderful illustration. American Airlines has pre-planned a flight this afternoon at 3 o'clock, flight 1, from Phoenix Sky Harbor to Chicago O'Hare. What did they do? They pre-planned it. They filed the flight. They get the airplane. They set up the fuel. They set up the employees to work the gate, to work the plan. They got it all set up. But who's on the plane? They don't know until somebody does what? Buys a ticket and shows up. That's the, that's, I, I heard that, I was like, that's the illustration right there. Thank you, Alex. Why? Because what, what did God do? He pre-planned the plane, the remnant. He got it all set up. He got everything in its order, but then he didn't know who was going to be a part of it. Until what? Until they hear the word and they believe. Follow that? That's, that wipes out Calvin. And it wipes out all the crazy stuff that gets shut. Because that's what happened. So in time past, what did he foreknew? He foreknew the rebellion. Look back at chapter 10 of, of Romans. He foreknew the rebellion. In 1019, but I say, did not Israel know? The answer is, yeah. He told them they would rebel. He told them from the very, it was possible for a Jew to know that they would rebel. But also it is possible for that Jew to know that God did predetermine to use a remnant to accomplish his plan and his purpose. He said, not Ishmael, Isaac, not Esau, Jacob. And by the way, Jacob's got 12 boys and there's going to be a tribe out of that a, a family out of there, Judah, and that's where the Messiah is coming from. And then, in, by the way, in Judah, there's a specific family, Jesse. You see, he's already figured that out way before, and he just watches it happen, and who joins is who hears the word and believes the word. By the way, you know what he also predetermined? The dispensation of grace and the church, the body of Christ. And those who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ are placed where? In the church, the body of Christ. Are you with me? Did Israel know? Yeah, they did. First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, by a foolish nation. I will anger you. Think about that. He doesn't say who's going to believe. He just says there's going to be a group that you're going to call foolish. And you've got a choice. Come back to Deuteronomy 32, where this quote is from. Deuteronomy 32. I just want to take whatever time this morning to look at some, this issue here with you. 
about the remnant, because when we get down in the chapter, we talk about the grafting in and out and the branches. This remnant mentality has to be in your thinking when you think about that. When we talk about the olive tree, think about the olive tree. You got to catch all of the backstory because Paul, he, yes, he's writing to the church, the body of Christ, and yes, he's dealing with the Gentiles so they know they're not Israel, that they're the church, but he's also dealing with that unbelieving Jew who should be familiar with his Old Testament. He just chose not to believe it. So he's using language that that unbelieving Jew would identify with. Okay? By the way, who is the olive tree? The olive tree represents the, Israel's spiritual access to God. Who is the great picture of the olive tree? Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. How, the fundamental promise in the Abrahamic covenant is eternal life, resurrection life. What do you and I participate when we're grafted into the olive tree? What do we participate? Eternal life, resurrection life. We're not over there doing all the other stuff. We're in that, see, so you got to get back to the root. That's why he talks about grafted into the root, see? Anyway, I get it. That's a, that's a lesson for about six weeks from now. <laughs> Maybe, I hope not, but down the road. Look at Deuteronomy 32. Look at verse 21. Look at the quote here, 32, 21. Moses says, they have moved me to jealousy. Well, actually, God through Moses. This is a song of Moses. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a what? Foolish nation. He's establishing the remnant principle right here with Moses in the very beginning. He says, listen, that nation out there is going to go in apostasy. They're going to do things that are going to cause me to move to a, a foolish nation. Come over to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 and verse 1. Isaiah 65, verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me. Uh-oh, he said it twice. Unto a nation that was not called by my name. Who, when the Lord walked the earthly ministry and he says, behold me, behold me, who believed that he was the Messiah? That believing remnant, that little flock that foolish nation. And what did the nation say about that group of people? 65.1, I'm sorry, Isaiah 65.1. What did the nation, what did the nation's leaders say to the Lord and to Peter and those guys? Who are you? Who do you think you are? What school did you go to? You have, no, 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 no. You, you, we're just squash you like a little roach in the corner. Do you know why? Because you know, you know how religion views faith as what? Foolish. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, we're fools. Look at you, not many noble, not many wise. And yet what does the world look at us as what? Fool. 
What are they doing? So when you think about Israel's history here, all right, go back to Exodus 12. Just kind of think about something here. This remnant, I'm driving home the remnant today because I want you got to catch it. And if we don't get it, we'll pick right up here next week and I'll hammer it home some more. Look at Exodus 12. Look, if you will, at verse 38, verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramus to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. And a what? Mixed multitude went up, notice that word, also with them. So you've got 600,000 believers. Also, you've got what? A mixed multitude. They say anywhere from 1.5 to 2 million Jews left Egypt in the Exodus. That's what the, the books all say. 600,000 of them belong to who? To the Lord. I, Exodus 12:38. Okay? Now you write down Numbers 11, 4 to 6, and Nehemiah 13:13. 13, 13. By the way, 13 is uh, the number of rebellion. And you will read about the mixed multitude. So when Israel comes out of Egypt, what are they? They're mixed of believers and unbelievers. They're, they're a mixture from the very beginning. Follow that. They're not a clean people when they leave Egypt. That's why later on, They'll say, we want the flesh pots of Egypt again. Why? Because that mixed element has what? Outnumbers the believing element, <laughs> and they begin to dictate what's going to happen. And the murmuring. You know, they wanted to kill Moses. They got so, so down there, they just wanted to kill him. They were done with him. Come over to Matthew 21. When Elijah says they have killed the prophets and dig down thine all. Why? Because that mixed multitude had gotten so far in, entrenched in the nation. Ahab, you know, Jezebel, they introduce into uh, the national religious order, Baal worship. They make it the official religion of Israel. Ahab, King Ahab does. But Micah, Back in the Judges has introduced Baal worship into the nation. The tribe of Dan took it and ran with it. But Ahab came back and put the official stamp of the king on it. And, all, and so, but what do you have? You got this mixed element. Matthew 21, look at verse 43. Now you're in the Lord's day. We're doing Israel's history real quick here, okay? <laughs> in the Lord's day, Matthew 21, 43. He's talking to the Pharisees, the leaders of, e of Israel. He's going to give them a parable here about the, the householder planting a vineyard. It's very interesting. The vineyard that you go back and you study in that vineyard, there, there's Israel. The, 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 he's planting that vine in there, the national life of Israel. And yet there's an apostasy to it, verse 43, therefore... Well, verse 42, Jesus said unto them, did you never read in the scriptures? And again, that's their problem. They've got it. The information's readily available. They just don't believe it. They don't take it in. 
Verse 43, therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to the most critical one-letter word there is, a nation. But not just any, a na- any nation, a nation doing what? Bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now come over to Luke 12. Luke 12 and verse 32. Luke 12, verse 31. Luke 12, 31. So the Lord comes in, and what's he, what's he just told the nation of Israel? By the way, you keep reading in Matthew 21, and they perceived that they, he was talking about them, that they're going to lose the kingdom. See. So what do they try to do? Well, if we kill him, then we won't lose the nation. Little did they know what has the prophet's been saying all along. Why? Because he asked them, didn't you read the scriptures? If you read the scriptures, you'd have known this. Look at Matthew or Luke 12, 31. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are they to seek? The kingdom of God and all his righteousness, Matthew says. And then all these things, the the physical things, will be added. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, that that group going to get that kingdom is a group out there bringing forth the fruits of repentance and the fruits of the kingdom and doing what the Word of God has told them to do. And what did he just call them? Little flock. Deuteronomy, Moses calls them a foolish nation. All through the Old Testament, it's a remnant. By the way, verse 33, if you think you belong to the little flock, you better be doing verse 33. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, the treasure in heaven, the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches. You better sell it out, baby. By the way, I need a new... I've got a few bills to pay. So bring it on. Let's go. You know, that's what they do, isn't it? I don't personally, I'm, you know, I'm not talking literal here, figures. What do they do? Little flock, believing remnant. Now, come back with me to Isaiah chapter 1. You've got to catch this because what Paul's dealing with in Romans 11 is, has God cast away his people? His people, the individuals, no, look at me. Case one. Two, haven't you read the Old Testament? Look how God works. He's always got a remnant according to the election of grace. He's always got a remnant that's the called out group to accomplish his purpose. Isaiah 1, look at verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Isn't that it? How big? Very small. We should have been as Sodom and Gomorrah, as Sodom, and we would have been like unto Gomorrah. Paul quotes that, by the way, in Romans 9. Come over to chapter 10 of Isaiah. I tried to pick them all in Isaiah, but we ain't going to get that far. Look at Isaiah 10. Look at verse... Well, verse 20, but 21, 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, 
And such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. Who's re- there's a remnant that's going to return. Not the whole, not, there's some of that whole is going to be fall on that mighty one, the, the adversary. For though the, the, thy people of Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. Romans 9.27, Paul quotes that. The consummation decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. And off you go. 11, 11, chapter 11, verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day, the day when the, the, the Gentiles are going to seek and, be, and give them glory, that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left. From, and then he lists them there. Notice that there's a remnant. By the way, look at verse 16. Just kind of a FYI thing. Verse 16. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria. So the, the issue here is the ten northern tribes. That's the context. They're going to be taken by Assyria, but what is there? There's a highway of escape for them, but notice, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Who was in the land of Egypt? A mixed multitude. They come out, there's a highway, there's a path, there's a safety, a humanitarian corridor for that believing remnant in the northern ten to get out when Assyria landed on them. They got that. Come over to chapter 26 of Isaiah. Isaiah 26. Again, I just want you to see this principle is here. Isaiah 26 Verse 1, in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may what? Who's going in? The righteous nation. Peter calls them that in 1 Peter 2.9. You're a righteous nation. You remember that? Come over to 1 Peter. You got to... Folks, you've got to put this stuff together. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, and have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Why weren't they God's people? What did that apostate nation call them? Fools. You're nobodies. You're not important. And yet when the Messiah showed up, what'd they do? There he is. And what did they become? Come back to Romans 11. They became that remnant according to the election of grace. By the way, we can keep running many verses about the remnant. But there's a reason why Paul's bringing this up in answering that question of unbelief as God cast away his people. No, he hasn't. The individual is still 
important to God. The nation has been cast away, but that individual Jew is still on the line. How do you know that? Well, look at Paul himself, but then also look at the remnant principle all through the Old Testament. You go to Micah 5. We'll go over here in a minute to Ezra 9. You got a lot of stuff going on here. You go to Zechariah uh, 8. Remnant, remnant, remnant. But it's called a nation because what is it? It's a national kingdom. It's a nation, but they're made up of believing individuals. Okay, Romans 11. Watch verse 5. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. What would the present time be? Today or when Paul's ministry in Acts? I'm going to suggest it's Paul's day in, in, in Acts. Okay? And Paul, at the present time, when Paul's there, there is a remnant of believers There is a believing remnant, a remnant. Now notice, according to the election of grace. Now that phrase is what gets abused greatly. Now I'm going to show you why I believe it's the present, is Paul's day, okay, and not today. We're going to look at that here in just a second. When you read that word grace, you cannot instantly say dispensation of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Did he find the dispensation of grace? Why? Because God is a gracious God. Come back to Acts 15. Acts 15. And let's not get ahead of ourselves, but you've you got to think about this. <clears throat> Look at Acts 15. In Acts 15, Peter, Paul goes, Galatians 2, by revelation, Paul goes, Peter, in, Acts 2, in Acts 15, Luke records it as the guys come and ask him to go. Paul says, yeah, they came and asked me, but I wasn't going to go, but the Lord said go, so I go. Peter and Paul. Paul meets with Peter and the guys privately. They get in behind closed doors. Paul, Galatians 2 gives you what was dealt with behind closed doors. What happened behind closed doors, Galatians 2? Peter perceived the grace given to Paul, didn't he? Now, Peter has been introduced to the change, okay? He's been introduced to God changing the program in Acts 10 with Cornelius and all of that. Because Peter don't talk to no Gentile. Not supposed to. Now Paul or Peter goes. So Peter is going to make a public declaration here in verse 11 that's very fascinating to me in connection with Romans 11. Because Paul doesn't go to Jerusalem to be instructed of the program. He goes and does what? Instructs them on the new program. Remember he says, Galatians 2, I added nothing to them. But contrary-wise, I dumped a boatload on them. And they perceived it. They got it. Now watch verse 9, 15, 9. Well, verse 7. Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, ye know how... That a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth, Acts 10, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. By the way, the word of the gospel, which gospel? You go read Acts 10, it's the works of righteousness gospel. It's clear. It's what the verse calls it. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. By the way, they got the Holy Ghost way before ever being baptized. 
it's the bat water baptism thing that Peter says as a kind of a secondary thought. Maybe we ought to baptize these guys. What do you think? And they do. <laughs> yeah, we better. Okay. Verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. How? By faith. Now, watch that verse. Between us, who would the us be? Jews and them. Who would the them be? Gentiles. And Peter's right in saying that. There are two groups. He's right in saying there's now no difference because what is Peter doing? He's learning about some things. One, he has his own experience with God telling him, don't call unclean what I now call clean. But then Paul comes in privately and lays out the program for him. So Peter stands up publicly and says what? There's no difference. He's not wrong here. Again, he's learned in personal, Acts 10, and then privately with Paul. Verse 10, 15, 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? The tempting of God. How, do you, how in the world would you tempt God here? What did Paul just say? What does eleven six say? If it's of grace, it is no more of works. If it's of works, it's not of grace. You see... Don't go, make the, don't go make this new group live under the law. You're putting a yoke of bondage on them. Knock it off. You're tempting God. Verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, who's that? Jews, shall be saved even as they, Gentiles. Notice Peter says what? Jews, you got to go do what the Gentiles are doing now. He doesn't say, Gentiles, come do what we're doing. He says what? You, we got to go do what they're doing. Now, Peter's a justified man. Little flock's justified. See? But who's in attendance? Who's in the audience? The religious crowd. Because what did they say back up there in verse 1? And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What a, what a, so who's he really addressing here? That unbelieving element in Israel, because what, what did they just say? You've got to get circumcised to be saved. And oh, by the way, you've got to join and go and do to stay saved. See, that's, that's that religious crowd. But who else is in the audience is also the believing remnant. What does Peter stand up and say? He, he does something here. We believe. He's taught, he's, Peter's thinking like a Jew, we and they, and he says, we got to go do what they're doing now. We need to do what the Gentiles are doing. And when he says we, he's not talking about him personally because he's already justified. The believing remnant is already justified unto eternal life. You understand that, I hope, Okay. The only requirement that God ever requires of man to be justified unto eternal life is faith and the word given to him at that moment. And we've talked about that. He's now talking to that unbelieving element who's raised the question of putting the yoke on him. That, verse 10. Verse 10 is critical of who he's talking to. Why, who's he talking to? Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What are you doing this guy? Who's doing that? Verse 1, that unbelieving element. Okay? But notice in verse 11, 
Peter says something. But we believe that through the what? You see that grace of, God, of the Lord Jesus Christ? There's now a thing about grace that has to, that Peter interjects into the conversation. Now, what has he been talking to Paul behind closed doors? The dispensation of grace. But now there's a grace. Think of, I, I, oh man, the time is up. Doggone it. Think about the issue with Peter and Paul. What does Peter know should have fallen in Acts 7? Wrath. He knows it. His eyes have been opened. He understands the scriptures. He know, And yet what happened? There was no wrath. Come over to 1 Peter 1. There's no wrath. Wait a second. What do we do? What's going on? God is being what? Gracious. Peter doesn't understand it until he begins to get some information. But Peter knows good and well there should be trouble coming, and there isn't our main thorn in the flesh has been converted. He's down here preaching that Christ is the Messiah. What are we doing? What's, you know, that Acts 9, go read it. He's a man, man. He wants to meet with me. Oh, no, he, he does. Barnabas orchestrates the meeting. And they get, but, but you think about what's going through Peter's mind. What's going on here? We should have been, in a, we should have been down the road a little bit in Daniel 9. And then yet, Paul shows up and says, hang on a minute, Pete. Here's the full detail. So Peter writes, 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout. You see the strangers scattered? That's the little flock, and they're scattered. So this is after Acts 8, at least. See that? Because in Acts 8, what do the believers do? Scatter. He's writing to them. Verse 2, notice he calls them elect according to the foreknowledge of God. So this is going to be pre-Paul, but after the scatter. You see that? I hope. Okay, catch that. The Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. What's, what's happening? There's an elect. Look, look at what he calls them, what he calls the scattered. The nation as a whole isn't scattered. They're still in Jerusalem, that believing remnant, that little flock, that foolish nation. What are they? They're the elect and they're scattered. Now drop down to verse 10 of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the, what? Grace that should come unto you. Now, that's not the dispensation of grace. That's the grace associated with the new covenant. And the new covenant issue, the new covenant is a covenant of grace where God's going to come in and forgive their iniquity, and then he's going to write in their hearts the law, and he's going to give them the Spirit, and he's going to cause them to be his people. He's going to do it. You see, Israel is, there's an anticipation of grace to that little flock that's coming, future, that should come unto you. It's a future, not a mystery grace, but a revealed grace in their program, okay? That is associated with the new covenant. That's associated with the Messiah coming. Jesus Christ is called, he's grace and truth has showed up. There he is. John 1, there he is. 
It's associated with the things that God is going to do with and through the nation of Israel. But specifically who? That remnant. That little flock is looking for a prophesied grace connected to the new covenant. That new covenant is based on God's promise to himself that he's going to do something and that he'll do it. Now look at verse 13, just real quick. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is not the dispensation of grace. That is the grace that's going to show up at the... What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? That's his second coming. And there's, that's when the new covenant is going to be instilled in the, the, the nation. He's, it isn't pre... Over here before, they get a taste of it. They get, an, they get a, wow, this is what it's going to be like. Acts 2, Pentecost, all that. And yet over here, what are they looking for? What's their hope? That hope's that kingdom, but that hope of that new covenant, that grace. And when does it come? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Come back to Ezra. You guys give me a few minutes, right? We're good? Folks, you, this, look, look back at Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Ezra 9. Man, this is, this is fantastic. When you catch what Paul's doing, Look at Ezra 9. Look at verse 8. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God. Little space grace. I love that. <laughs> Run space. Okay. Ezra 9, 8. And now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God, watch, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our what? That's a future look at that coming grace over there. But what's it associated with? That remnant. So when you come back to Romans 11, And when Paul says here in verse 5, even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace, that is not about the dispensation of grace. It's about God has elected from the very beginning of Israel's history to have a remnant of believers that are going to be there. What's happening in, in the present time? In Acts 15, when Paul's dealing with Peter, and Peter says what? We have to do what? Act like the Gentiles now. Okay? What do the Jews have to do today? Same thing. Act like a Gentile. Go over there and trust. In Paul's day, they've rejected the Messiah. They've rejected the 12, the little flock in the Acts ministry. And you know what Paul's telling them? You're a part of that apostate nation. You need to get out of that. You need to trust that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and you need to become a part of the little flock, I mean, the, the, the church, the body of Christ. What's happening to the remnant? They're just chucking along like nothing until they do what? Die off. So verse 6 leads us into verse 7. So we'll pick here. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. 
But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more works. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. By the way, what does he seek for? Chapter 9, he's seeking for righteousness, isn't he? But how is he seeking for righteousness? By the works of the law and not by faith. See, so that, thus verse 6. Verse 6 is a wonderful verse because he's saying all of this is operating based on faith, not your effort. In Israel's program, faith, not your effort. God looks at Israel and says, I don't want your stinking sacrifices. I wanted your heart the whole time. What is it today? Not your effort, but your faith. See, God didn't change. Who's the problem? The problem is man. Now, God changes how he deals with man, and that's the dispensational component. All right, we're going to stop because we're five minutes over. We'll pick up here. Just got to catch what's going on here. Again, uh, this, don't get stumbled up in the forno and the election issues. Elect just chosen one. He chose to do this. It's a called out group. Here they are. He doesn't identify the individual members just as he doesn't for you and I today. But he chose to do what? Form the church, the body of Christ. And he's using a Jew and a Gentile to get it done. All right? Okay, dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your son. For everything that you've given to us and him. And Lord, I thank you for the scriptures here as we read and as we study and as we see what you will one day do with your nation here on the earth. In your name we pray, amen.